Now for a leader from the next generation. Larry Harris Jr. He became the CEO at the age of 21. There is a, a, an urge, a drive to serve the country. How, in this modern age, is he drawn <coughs> you into this idealism, this commitment to service and to leadership? Hey, welcome to this week's vlog. It's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Listen, before we get into the uh, nitty-gritty, I want to say something about the vlog. Look, I know that I've criticized some pretty high-profile black women in the past, and I want to make it very clear. I have no problem with black women, and I do not hate them at all. I uh, love black women, first of all. And, you know, the ones I've criticized, like uh, Kamala, Joanne Reed, Nicki Minaj, Megan Thee Stallion, or on Twitter, Zerlina Maxwell, and Amanda Seals, you know, they are people that have come under my ire because they put a lot of things out there that I think are not healthy for both the black community and the United States of America. Uh, and when I see that, no matter who it is, black woman or otherwise, I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to criticize. Um, and I want you to be very clear on the fact that I don't pick on black women. For example, I've praised plenty of black women on this vlog, like Sid from the internet, Missy Elliott, Ayanna Presley, Jean Grey, The Queendom, Rhapsody, uh, Coco and Serena. And um, I often retweet uh, Brianna Joy Gray on Twitter because I love her. And uh, I love the squad also if you want to throw women of color into this. So, you know, I just want to make that very clear. Uh, you're going to get facts from me. You're going to get my opinion also that's going to be based on fact. But I'm never going to single out any group. I don't care who it is. Uh, nobody deserves that. And they're not going to get that from me. So anyway, this week on the vlog, I'm going to go through the lineup. In politics, we're going to talk about why I don't like modern monetary theory. Uh, also going to talk about why some what some are tw on Twitter are calling the hate hoax. Uh, and also for the Patreon-only section of this uh, vlog, for patrons only, we're going to talk about the Democratic debates that are coming up. Uh, there's no sports this week, but in music, we're going to talk the uh, new album by Wynton Marsalis and Nicola Benedetti, uh, which I just heard uh, yesterday and is uh, amazing. So um hope you uh, stay tuned. I hope you enjoy this. Let's get into it. I know I can say what I want to say. I know the laws of the land. I say what I want to say. I know I can. I know I can say what I want to say. Say what I want to say. Okay, welcome to the politics segment. It's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Now, the first uh, subject we're going to talk about in politics is why I don't like modern monetary theory. Now, MMT, modern monetary theory, is a theory that became uh, more popular in recent times with the rise of AOC uh, in Congress. And uh, it's been proposed as a way to fund the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Um, so... Let's get into that a little bit. Before I tell you um, everything about MMT, uh, I want to talk about, first of all, what my economic theories are and why I believe uh, we need to talk about MMT um, more and, and debunk some of the myths around it. So as you know, I prefer to myself as a libertarian Democrat, which basically means I am a libertarian on many issues, um, but I'm not a strict constructionist about the Constitution. And I believe there's a role for the federal government on many issues where like a straight libertarian would probably disagree. For example, the Second Amendment. Uh, most libertarians believe in people's rights to own guns, and I believe we should amend the Second Amendment to ban guns. 
a very big difference, but uh, my road to banning guns is constitutional. So, um, you know, one of the theorists uh, of, of fathers of the economic school that I follow, I follow Austrian economics, is uh, Frederick von Hayek. And um, he won a Nobel Prize in economics in 1974 and was very influential in bringing some Austrian economic theories into the mainstream. Um, he was a libertarian, but he also understood the role of central planning or central government as, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in, in a nation state, as opposed to central banking, which he was opposed to and I also oppose. So um, let's talk about, first of all, under uh, economics, under, you know, Hayek's theories, uh, the things that I believe in. So first of all, uh, I'm very skeptical about the role of central banks like Hayek was. Um, you know, he had a whole argument against the role of central banks in Keynesian economics. I'll, I'll spare you that boredom right now. It's not worth getting into at the moment. But uh, basically, the thing I believe is that central banks shouldn't have a monopoly on the currency, on the production of currency, um, and that we should abolish central banks and return to the gold standard to stabilize the value of currency. Um, so, you know, what we do right now is we issue fiat currency, which means it's backed only by the full faith and credit of the United States government. And what I'm saying is we should back our money with a precious metal like gold or silver, which the market would probably choose. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have uh, become sour on fiat currency for a lot of different reasons. I'm one of them. And I think we should return to the gold standard, which we did have in this country for a very long time. So one of the things about central banks is that when central banks lower interest rates to stimulate the economy, for example, after a crash, which is uh, quite often the case, um, they encourage overinvestment and misallocation of resources, uh, which leads to another crash like we had in the banking crisis after the dot-com bust. So basically what I'm saying is that after the dot-com bust, uh, the Fed you know, kept interest, late, interest rates low to stimulate the economy um, and make it easier for lending to happen and for cash to get out into the economy. Um, and so what that encouraged is risky investment. People took on investments that they wouldn't have taken otherwise because money was so cheap. Um, so, you know, that's what I talk about when I say overinvestment and misallocation of resources. Um, so, you know, what happens, uh, for example, um, in the case of the banking crisis is that banks took on risky investment opportunities. So did people. Um, and in the bank's case, it was because they knew they were too big to fail and would be bailed out. Uh, which is the argument that uh, Hayek made about, um, you know, it's a moral hazard argument, but he made it about central banking where, you know, if people know that uh, there's going to be a bailout at the end of whatever they're doing, they'll engage in some of the most risky behavior possible. Uh, and that's what we saw in the banking crisis is that banks have engaged in risky behavior and knew they were going to get a bailout and therefore never curtailed their actions. So that's one thing I believe from Hayek in the Austrian school about central banking. The other thing that Hayek believed, that I also believe, is that governments should provide a social safety net, like unemployment, social security, universal health care, and even basic income. And I think there's an argument for any of those things under a libertarian framework if, you have your, if you're open-minded, but uh, you know, specifically governments, there is a role for governments in providing a social safety net. And Hayek said, you know, there's certain things we can't plan for. Uh, you know, people are gonna get sick, uh, they're not going to work. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that happen 
that cause disruptions in the economy. And there shouldn't be people who uh, fall into the worst situations in an economy just because there's so much unpre uh, unpredictability. Um, so we should provide a social safety net to make sure that everyone lives at a level that we've decided is uh, the minimum level that everyone should live at. And some people are saying now we should have a $15 minimum wage, for example. Um, and that's something I agree with. But uh, we could go further. So that's the other thing I, I agree with out of the uh, Austrian school under Hayek. And uh, so let me get on to what I do not agree with under MMT. So modern monetary theory, MMT, theorizes that deficits and debt do not matter and that governments can spend as much money as they want uh, because they have a monopoly on currency production and can always print more money to pay off the debt. So to say that again, uh, debts and deficits do not matter because governments have a monopoly, uh, monopoly on currency production and can print as much money as we need to pay off the debt. So that's what they believe. And I believe that's a bad idea because, first of all, the overproduction of currency devalues the dollar and leads to inflation, and in some cases, hyperinflation, like we saw in the uh, Weimar Republic. So, you know, to, an example, obviously, is the Weimar Republic, where they printed, uh, you know, plenty of marks uh, to cover, first of all, the debt that they had to pay for, the, for World War I, um, but also to get the economy stimulated and make sure people had cash in their pockets. And it led to hyperinflation, which ultimately destabled their currency and led to a revolt against the government. Um, it all, you know, before hyperinflation would be just regular inflation, uh, which uh, printing a lot of currency does lead to, um, and also devaluation of the dollar. Um, so MMT says we can tax our way out of inflation, um, which will reduce the currency supply by, ta you know, through taxation, you're taking the money back from the economy. Um, you know, but the problem with that is, um, with taxation, um, you know, reducing or tightening the currency supply, is that, you know, what if policymakers are slow or unwilling to raise taxes, which is often the case? You know, many policymakers don't want to put their name behind a tax increase, or they'll just be slow to do it. And we might be in a place where we have a disruption in the economy and really need to uh, rein in the cash. So, you know, that, that is a possibility, a high possibility under MMT that um, a lot of MMT theorists don't talk about. So the other thing about MMT is that it maintains the status quo of fiat currency in the economy and central banking, uh, which is bad because, um, you know, our dollars are only legal tender. Um, they're not backed by anything valuable. And I believe that's a really bad scheme for currency in a nation. Um, you know, what happens if our credit is downgraded, for example, then the dollar goes through the floor. Um, so it also leaves uh, bankers in charge of inflation. Now, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that the Federal Reserve is run by bankers. They control inflation. And what inflation is, is a transfer of wealth from the poor to the wealthy and corporations. Uh, so if you think about it, as the, as the price of goods goes up and the value of the dollar buys less goods, then it's a transfer of wealth because you have to use more dollars to buy more goods. So I don't believe that bankers should be in charge of that. I believe that the market should dictate inflation, um, which is why I believe the dollar should be backed by a metal like gold. Uh, and then once it's traded on the market, that will determine inflation over time. It'll be more uh, stable. Uh, the prices will be more stable. Uh, and we'll have less of a wealth transfer. Um, we can't, you know, some people set a target of zero for inflation. You know, that's probably ideal, honestly. But uh, some people believe we need inflation to stimulate the economy. So it's one, it's a back and forth on theories. Um, and so I told you mine. So anyway, uh, we're going to get into the next piece of this political segment, which is what some are calling on the, uh, on Twitter 
a hate hoax, uh, which, you know, uh, the right really gets, uh, they're, they're very good at branding. Uh, the right does a really good job of branding their policies and their, their political opinions uh, a lot better than Democrats. Uh, so, you know, today on Twitter, um, the term hate hoax was trending because uh, people on the right had seized on a story that happened over the weekend where a Georgia state uh, a Georgia state rep was at Publix when she had a confrontation with a man named Eric Sparks, who she said told her to go back to her country. And this is right after the Trump rally where he made disparaging remarks against the squad and his crowd started cheering for them to be sent back. Um, so, you know, this obviously caused a great deal of uproar, especially on Twitter, amongst liberals first, and then also amongst conservatives as the story unfolded. Um, so, you know, the state rep, her name is Erica Thomas, is black, and she described her, the accused, the person that confronted her, as white. Um, and she tweeted out about, you know, her take on the confrontation. She said that the man told her to go back to where she came from. Um, and that was followed by a live Facebook stream in which she was crying and very emotional about the experience. Um, and then there was a press conference where they both were, uh, both the state rep and the and Eric, um, who where they each told their side and went back and forth kind of in an argument. Um, one thing that came out of that is, um, you know, she said he's white, but he claims he is Cuban and a Democrat. Um, and he later admitted that he is white, which, you know, obviously it's possible to be a white Cuban. I met tons of them in Miami. Um, and I did look at his Facebook page and some posts from his Facebook page, and it pretty much confirms that he's a Democrat. Um, he's like an anti-Trump, pro-the-squad Democrat, and it does look like he's a Cuban from Miami. So let's get into this a little bit. So first of all, I want to say that this guy is a complete moron and a total asshole for confronting a pregnant woman about having too many items in an express lane, which is what he said about the reason why he confronted her in the first place. She had 20 items and she was in like a 13 or less aisle and he found it outrageous. So he talked to the manager, then he confronted her because the manager said there was nothing he could do. Um, now I find that completely stupid. Uh, you know, just for that alone, uh, you know, this guy deserves to get uh, all of the outrage of the internet community. Um, because who badges a pregnant woman about what line she's in at the damn Publix? Um, you know, and he actually said that there were two empty lanes and she should, she should have gone into one of those lanes. And my question is, why didn't he go to one of those lanes? You know, he's able-bodied. He had three items. He could have taken it down that lane and shut the hell up and left her alone. And this would have never been an issue. But of course, he didn't. So, uh, you know, I have a problem with people who uh, get all uppity and want to tell people what to do all the time. You know, here's a pregnant woman. Maybe he didn't know she was pregnant, but I'm sure she told him. And, you know, he's still flipping on her. So I don't agree with that. Um, now, look, the second point on this is that I have no idea if he's racist. Um, you know, I lived in Miami. We have, they had white Cubans. Um, and white Cubans in Miami can be racist or they can be really cool. You know, like the Mobellas in uh, Hialeah, for example, they voted for McCain. But the young Cubans... Like, you know, the generation that's like this this Eric Sparks guy age and younger, uh, they voted for Obama. So there's really a split. Um, not saying that just because you vote for Obama, you're not racist. But, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. Um, so the thing I want to say about this is that because he's a Democrat and because he has anti-Trump, uh, pro-the-squad 
pro-Democrat posts on his Facebook page. I think it's very unfair to use this as an opportunity to criticize Trump. And it's very inaccurate. Um, you know, when we do that, we seem really disingenuous. Uh, you know, first of all, take my word that this guy called Trump a Nazi and defended the squad. I'm not going to put the screenshots up just so I can save you some time. But to me, this is just more Democrat infighting. And it's a bad look going into 2020. You know, we don't need to be fighting amongst each other. We need to be united about getting Trump out of office. And, uh, you know, for this to become some sort of hate incident uh, where two Democrats are actually found at the center of it is really a bad look. So even if it was a racist incident, um, you know, it's, still, it's a really bad look for Democrats. And it makes us look like not only do we have racists in our party, but that we are fighting each other about what, uh, you know, what even constitutes uh, acceptable behavior. And it's just us fighting each other and it's not the Republicans' fault. So, you know, that's how they're going to take it anyway. So anyway, the third thing on this is that I think uh, Representative Thomas, uh, I think she did mislead the public about whether uh, she was told to go back to wherever, you know? She, um, she walked it back in the video today. I saw an interview where she said uh, she didn't want to say that he actually told her to go back um, and that, um, you know, she, that he used, uh, you know, language that was down that line. Um, and I think she's being politically opportunistic, honestly. Uh, and we don't need any more juicy smoothie A's, as Dave Chappelle likes to call Jesse. Uh, you know, there's a lot of politicians out there that came to uh, Representative Thomas's defense very quickly on Twitter. And they need to be um, really careful about rushing to post tweets and hashtags about, you know, situations like this. Because, you know, with like Juicy, for example, they really landed in a pickle. You know, Cory Booker, some of the others who posted about that really looked dumb because it was obviously a hoax. Uh, so, you know, a lot of those p politicians did post on Twitter and even Congressman Ted Lieu had to delete his tweet because I think he's feeling a little unsure about, you know, the things he said considering that she walked back her comments about whether uh, it was actually said to her that she should go back to wherever she came from. Anyway, I'm going to show you the tweet that she posted and the video of her walking back her comments um, and then we'll get into the Patreon-only part of this uh, politics segment, which is about the Dem debates. So uh, in, uh, check out the tweet, check out the video, and then if you're a patron, stay tuned. He said, go back, you know, those types of words. I don't want to say he, he said, go back to your country or go back to where he came from, but he was making those types of references is what I remember. Hey, welcome back to the politics segment. This is the Patreon only set, uh, part of the segment. So welcome patrons. Uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming Democratic debates. Uh, so I just had a couple things I wanted to say about them. Um, obviously, there's going to be 20 candidates on the stage again, and they divided it into two nights again. Um, so there'll be 10 on each night. Um, they claimed that the placement was completely random. Like who got to debate on one night was completely random and it was used. They did some, you know, selection thing where it was completely random. Anyway, I find that very hard to believe because Senator Sanders and Senator Warren are on the first night and, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are on the second night. So, you know, they've paired together, uh, the people that, you know, and Sanders and Warren kind of overlapping, 
uh, there's constituencies and then Biden and Harris and two people that also kind of overlap and went after each other in the last debate. So, the, you know, I find that, uh, you know, pretty funny that uh, in less than coincidental that they ended up on the stage together those two nights. Uh, I wanted to also say uh, wine mom Marion Williamson uh, made it into the second debate and is going to be there the first night, uh, even though big white feminism tried to keep her out of the paint by excluding her from uh, the Vogue piece. I don't know if you saw that, but Vogue magazine did uh, spread on all the women running for president and excluded Marianne uh, Williamson, which I found, you know, that's big white feminism for you, man. You know, they pick and choose who they mess with. So, uh, you know, uh, that was a shame, but she still gets to be on the debate stage, which I appreciate, and hopefully she'll have some more awesome things to say. Um, you know, also on the first night will be Mayor Pete. Uh, Got to be honest, I've fallen out of love with Mayor Pete. Um, learned some things about South Bend being a total mess, especially racially in the uh, police department, etc. And I'm really not feeling feeling Mayor Pete any, anymore, but he will be on the first night. Um, Andrew Yang is going to be on the second night. reason why I like Yang is because he talks about universal basic income. He's the only candidate really talking about that. And I think it's really important that we get that, that into the public consciousness so that we can uh, move forward. Because I believe that all industrialized nations, if they want to be first class nations, should be shifting toward a, a universal basic income um, as... Uh, you know, modern nation and technology takes place and uh, job uh, displacement takes place. So, you know, we should think about that. And I hope uh, Yang uh, gets some time to talk about it. Also on the second night is Cory Booker uh, and, uh, the, and Julian Castro. Um, I wanted to make a point about the debates also, which is that Mike Gravel, who is a great person, if you ever look into Mike Gravel, he's got some really interesting things to say, was excluded from the debate, even though he has 67,000 donors. And Bill de Blasio made the debate, even though he only has 6,500 donors. And that's because the Democratic Party is prioritizing certain polls over donors. Even though I think donors is much more important than the polls. And de Blasio isn't even polling outside of the margin of error. So, you know, I think Grable should have been able to make the debate stage. And a lot of those other bumps should have been off of there, including de Blasio. Um, but, you know, that's all I have to say on the debates this week. So... You know, uh, sometime after the debates, I'll come back with a recap, talk about what I saw. Hopefully, there'll be some great moments. Um, you know, I'm really hoping that Senator Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, have some great moments and can move uh, forward in the polling and do and start to do a lot better. You know, the one thing about them is that the two of them have outraised Biden, Harris, and Mayor Pete, um, and Sanders and Warren haven't done any fundraisers. It's all been you know, online and, uh, you know, calls to arms and things like that. Whereas Biden, Harris, and Mayor Pete have been doing the major donor class, big dollar fundraisers. Now, look, I don't know why anyone in the Democratic Party would want to support a candidate who raises the bulk of their money from Democratic Party rich guys. But, you know, Biden, Harris, and Mayor Pete obviously have their followings, whereas Sanders and Warren are seen as a lot, the people are a lot more skeptical of them, and they have a huge donor base. So, you know, to me, that's much more important than these polls going into the into the beginning of this uh, campaign. And we'll see who lasts the long haul. And I think the people with the huge donor base are going to do a lot better than the people that are just polling. So anyway, that's all I got on politics this week. Um, for my Patreon subscribers, thanks again for being patrons. Um, hope you enjoyed this. And uh, we'll keep it moving into music because there is no sports this week. Thanks. Ladies and gents, welcome to the Black Bobby Show. 
coming live out of Miami over stupendous beats, of course. Here we go, black superhero, spitting for the people, coming through the peephole, put me on the free throw. The game got it fouled up, that's two in the ball, young. I'm trying to change the game, all these rappers. Okay, welcome to the music segment. It's your boy Larry Harris Jr., aka Black Bobby. I thought this week we'd do something a little bit abnormal. You know, mostly I talk about hip hop or R&B, you know, because uh, those, those are the two genres I, I really love. But this week we're going to talk about some classical music, uh, something that I got into um, when I was at Harvard. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll relax to classical music or stretch to classical music after the gym um, for being so keyed up. Uh, I would try to relax then after the gym and stretch with uh, classical music in my head. Um, and the classical music I would most often listen to was by my friend who I met uh, while I was at Harvard. Uh, we met in New York at a thing called the Academy of Achievement. Uh, and her name is Nicola Benedetti. Uh, she is an amazing violinist. Um, she's uh, based out of the UK, but is Scottish in heritage. Uh, also Italian, her dad's Italian, but she grew up in Scotland. And I met her in New York at the Academy of Achievement and I believe that's also where she met Wynton Marsalis. So what I want to talk about today is they have an album together that just dropped, um, Wynton Marsalis and Nicola Benedetti. It's a violin concerto with the Philadelphia Orchestra, um, followed by a fiddle dance suite, which is a violin solo that Wynton wrote, wrote, that Wynton wrote for Nikki. So um, I'm going to get into that a little bit. So um, I'm going to show you the album cover, and then we're going to come back and talk about Wynton and Nikki's new album. So stay tuned. Right, welcome back. Now, now that you've seen the uh, album cover for Nikki and Winton's album, uh, I want to talk about it a little bit. So, the uh, album starts with a violin concerto, which is four movements long. Um, it is beautiful. Uh, Nikki is on violin, and the Philadelphia Orchestra plays um, is backing her up, uh, is accompanying her. And uh, so, one of the one of the standout parts or standout movements. Um, within the violin concerto is the third movement, uh, which is called blues, um, which has a very bluesy swing feel to it. Uh, has been and has been described as evoking the spirit of like a slave song, even um, in the media. So check that out if you get a chance. Um, you know, one of the things that I know about Wynton Marsalis is he likes to bridge uh, American, specifically Afro-American uh, culture with. Um, European, for example, when he does classical music um, compositions. So this is one of the places where you can really hear that uh, on this album. Um, now, the second part of the of the album uh, is a five movement um, Afro-European fiddle dance written for Nikki. Um, so this is, you know, I, I was joking before to myself, I should cover Nikki's album like I cover hip hop. I'd be like, this is where Nikki goes in solo on the violin, B. <laughs> but all, all joking aside, uh, you know, this is Nikki's violin solo. Uh, the second, it's a fiddle dance suite, like I said. Um, so, you know, it's it's a beautiful piece. You know, Nikki obviously is a is a tremendous violinist, uh, and she does kill it. And some think that this actually be uh, the more appreciated part of the album. Um, so that's a that's a big nod to Nikki because she can really handle 
uh, you know, a, a diversity and a wide range of music, and she does it very well. Um, is what you know people have come to appreciate about her. She makes the really hard things seem very easy. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons like Wenton likes her, for example. Um, so you know, the ending of the fiddle uh, dance suite uh, has been described as a hoedown, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. But you know, it does have that feel, obviously. Uh, so you know, and, and, and it's been described as uh, you know a hoedown that will sound Scottish to American people. Um, but will sound African-American inspired to Europeans. So, you know, give that a listen and you can obviously get a feel for uh, what, what I was talking about there. But, uh, you know, like I said, um, you know, Nikki was here for her first concert in the United States uh, in New York where I met her and where she met Wynton. Um, and uh, since then, they've had a great uh, uh, partnership where they've been working on music together and she performs mu music composed by Wynton. Um, and a lot of it is in, in um, steeped in tradition, both uh, European and African American. So I really appreciate that music, um, and I appreciate that it's getting highlighted. Uh, you know, for example, in the media, um, maybe not in, all, in like the mainstream media, but definitely in a lot of places that it um, might not reach otherwise because of um, you know Winton touching on it, and then also because of Nikki touching on it. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that. That's all for the vlog this week. Um, thank you if you're a Patreon subscriber. If you're not, think about becoming one. Uh, because there's always the longer vlog on Patreon, as well as my music, op-ed writing, behind-the-scenes videos, um, and anything, uh, oh, access to merch, uh, vinyl purchases, anything else I can think to come up um, with for Patreon. So, hope you enjoyed the vlog this week. Again, I'm Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Peace. Black folks step, white folks step, Latin step, Asian step, gay folks step, straight folks step, everybody step, everybody, everybody. I said I live in Miami where folks vacation, come down for the clubs, go home on probation. Like a cocaine cowboy, making deliveries, I'm at your front door, just bringing you history. Of you from the past and the struggle for freedom, there's books in the schools, but the youngest don't read them. Cause they got hood dreams, big fame, big change. Put your name beside the X to get a big range But the X don't stand for Malcolm Got your kids selling powder and it ain't even talcum 